I don't know if you have heard the one about the, uh, the young lady coming back from college to visit her wealthy parents, and she brought her serious boyfriend back home with her, and they had this great dinner together, and then the mom says to the dad, um, you need to find out about this young man, because you know, there there's rumors of a possible engagement. So the dad invites the young man into his office for a drink, and they go back there, and they get going with their drinks, and the dad says to the young man, well, uh, you know, what's, what's next for you? What are you going to do? And the man says, well, I'm, I'm a Bible uh, scholar, and I'm, I'm going to study. That's what's up next. And he's like, oh, okay. And he says, well, m you know, my beautiful daughter, let's imagine just for a moment that you guys end up together. How are you going to buy her a nice house for her to live in? And he says, well, I'm, I'm going to study hard, and God will provide. And he's like, oh, well, it's good you're a Bible scholar, but okay. And he says to her, well, and then how will you give her an engagement ring? Because of the kind she really deserves. And uh, the guy says, well, I'm going to study hard and God will provide. He's like, okay. And they, this continues on. He says, well, if y'all have children someday, how will you provide for the children? And he says, well, I'm going to study hard and God's, I'm going to do my job and God's going to provide. And this goes on with this pattern, keeps going. And then after they're through later on, the mom says to the dad later in the evening when they're alone private, she says, well, what did you learn? How is he? And she, he says, well, it's a good news, bad news kind of situation. And she's like, mm, okay, give me the bad news first. And he says, well, bad news is he doesn't really have any prospects in life at this moment. And she's like, oh, goodness, what is the good news? And he says, well, apparently he thinks I'm God. <laughs> Adam, roll the, uh, roll the laughter in the studio laughter. Nice thing is not a single groan in the room. <laughs> At least that I could hear. <laughs> well, in contrast to the premise of that joke, that is not where we normally live. Thinking God is going to just provide like that in every way. We're more inclined to go after the saying that we oftentimes hear that God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. That is something that we either say or have heard or we somehow embody oftentimes in, in our culture. And it was interesting to me to see some recent uh, research that was done by the Barna Group because they um, studied this as part of one of their surveys. And they said that of active Christians, Christians who call themselves active, 52% of them believe that that saying is from the Bible. And if you're thinking, yeah, what it is, I can't remember where it is. No, it, actually, it's not. And that's what we're going to talk about today is that particular passage. We're doing this as part of a sermon series where we're looking at these various little pithy sayings that we sometimes repeat or hear and engage in that, if we're honest, we really haven't stopped to think a whole lot about them. And that's why we've titled um, this series, Unquestioned Answers. And we want to go back and question them because we think it's important to do that, because very often these little pithy sayings are not true, or at least they're partial truths. And we want to explore that because the part that's not true can actually be very hurtful and very wrong. And that's the kind of thing we're exploring. We're going to do this again for a number of weeks. And um, I would invite you guys to think about any of these cliches you want us to consider, because we're still working on some of the ones downstream from here. So um, anyway, but today we're, we're picking this one up. And as we start, since 52% of active Christians think this is from the Bible, I want to start by just saying, where does it come from? And when we go look at it, the, the research on this would say that the first kind of writings that we have on this saying 
go back to the 5th century B.C. into some of the Greek tragedies. And there's some of those that will talk about this kind of saying. For example, from the year 409, one of the tragedies says, no good or comes of leisure purposeless, and heaven never helps men who will not act. This idea that you've got to get in there and act. But if you were to go do internet research or what have you, lots of people out there will attribute it to Benjamin Franklin. And the reason they attribute it to him is because back um, in the 18th century, he included it in poor Richard's almanac. And because of that, people associate it with him. But that's when it really got popularized in the version that I just repeated a minute ago. God helps those who help themselves. And it's seen in other places, other parts of the world, other things have it. Uh, I know um, Justin's mentioned to me the one, which I've done a little research on now to know that comes, it's an Arab proverb that some attribute to Muhammad, but it, it's the one that, that says, trust God, but tie up your camel. It's kind of a, you've got to do stuff. You, you, you trust him, but do, but do stuff. And with this passage, like the others that I've mentioned, okay, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Um, but the question we're going to ask is, is it true? And like all these different ones we're looking at, I want to suggest to you up front that this is one of those ones that's got a partial truth in it, but it's also got some stuff that's wrong and not only wrong, but like really wrong. So we're going to look at that. That's what I'm going to look at um, today. And when we start looking at it, we begin to ask the question, well, what is true about that saying? God helps those who help themselves. Well, I mean, for first of all, for many of us, and maybe the reason why we, we so many people get behind it is because it's kind of how the world works on a lot of stuff, right? I mean, like we, we go out and put in our, our effort and we toil and labor and we get things in return. And we get that. That's kind of how it works. So God helps those who are going to help themselves. And this morning, let me think about this. Um, this morning for breakfast, I had a, a piece of Dave's killer bread toasted with um, stuff on it. And I just stopped for a moment and think about that moment. Before I ate it, I gave thanks to God for it. But God didn't just drop that toast into my toaster. There, think about all the people. Just start backing up. I go to the grocery store, all the grocery store workers person who sold it, the stockers, and then go back to the truck driver who delivered it to the grocery store and back to the bakery and all the people that were working in the bakery. And then the people who delivered the flour and the seeds and all the stuff that went in it. And it goes back to the farmers and then the farmers to the people who produce the seeds and the people, you know, you can just go on and on. There is a ton of work all through this chain that brought that piece of toast there. But I gave thanks to God for it. Because that's how the world works oftentimes, right? We understand there's all this work that has to go into it that we get it. It doesn't just drop from heaven. We thank God for his provision, but it comes through all of this work. And so in that sense, it's true. And that's kind of been like an old, long time standing thing that we understand. If you go back to Benedict of Nursia back um, in the 5th and 6th century, part of the rule, rules of Benedict would say that the monks... They've got this super duper view. I used to go every year pre-COVID to a Benedictine monastery. They pray seven times a day, starting at at least one I go to. The first prayers are at 430 in the morning. They pray all day, but they're also called to work. So they have work periods and they do all this. And so he would talk about being involved in both prayer and work because you've got to provide. That's just part of how it works. And we get that, right? And if you start looking at scripture passages, there are plenty of them that will say this 
in kind of really clear terms. I think about, for example, um, in Paul starting the church in Thessalonica where he he starts the church and he, t- he explains the gospel and these people come to Christ and they start living out the church. But part of what he told them at the time was that this, he, in his view, the second coming was going to happen pretty fast. And so he eventually hears that there are people who aren't even working. And Paul writes a letter to them in part where he's going to address this. And he does it in pretty uh, stark terms because he, he says this. This is in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. He says, For even when we were with you, we gave this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. Like, you gotta, you got to work if you're going to eat. That's part of it. And then you go to the book of Proverbs. You'll see lots of different Proverbs that are out there that are associating hard work with God's reward and with his provision. All right, listen to just a few so you can just kind of see this. Proverbs 6, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed warrior. Or Proverbs 12, those who till their land will have plenty of food, but those who follow worthless pursuits have no sense. Proverbs 13, the appetite of the lazy craves and gets nothing, while the appetite of the diligent is richly supplied. One more. Proverbs 10, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. You get these passages that want to teach this correlation. Work hard, be diligent, be industrious, and this world will reward you. So that part of it has got truth to it, right? We we get to where we understand that. And and there's a whole long line of uh, theological topics we could go into here about all this because because we do believe, and lots of great theologians have written about how the dignity of work, that God creates humans, and then he says, go have dominion, that humans are created, and then God creates work for humans. It's part of our dignity. It's part of what we do. It's part of our call. That's another sermon. But today what we're saying in this is that how the world, world works is that God provides that way. And we oftentimes experience our own dignity, and you take it for granted until you become unemployed or if you're self-employed and things get slow, you start to think, oh, I took that for granted, but it's an important piece. So all of that part is the truth of it. That's the true piece of it. Then we start to ask the question then, well, what's wrong with this saying? Like, how is it and contain any non-truths? And I think the way it's said, if we just say it that way, gives us and implies that God doesn't help the helpless because he wants you to do it and do all this. And that's not true. God helps the helpless. And he does it in many different ways, right? I mean, lots of different ways. We think about reading the pages of scripture, how God has this passion and love that's visible for the downtrodden and for those that are helpless, how God has this passion and love for the poor and providing for them in different kinds of ways. They're helpless. They can't do it. They're not able to. They can't, sorry, do that. But think about this, for example. This is from Leviticus. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. I'm the Lord your God. God is saying leave part of your field there for the poor and for the foreigners to come get it. 
And he allows a way for them to not only get it, but to get it with dignity. That's the kind of God we have who loves and cares for the poor. And part of the call we experience as God's disciples, and we've talked about this in the past, is we're to lean into that. We're to lean into being God's hands and feet and voice for those who, don't, who aren't able to provide, for the helpless, for all these different things. And we get, we get all kinds of passages of Scripture that will keep putting that out there for us. I'll mention just a few of these. Think about James 1, where James says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans, for widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by this world. But orphans and the widows is a placeholder to say part of true religion is to lean into helping the helpless. And you think about Jesus's parables of the Good Samaritan or his parable in Matthew 25 of the, of the goats and the sheep and the judgment. And, and all of that is about helping the least of these. God has love and passion for those who are helpless. And he calls us as disciples into that. So to the extent that saying doesn't imply that, it's wrong. But more importantly than that, I think it well, is to come to our own salvation. Because salvation is 100% about God's grace. It's not what we earn. It's not what we do. It's not by somehow gathering up your strength and saying, I can do this, I got this. It's not that way. You, you're not able to do it. One of the old um, heresies way back in the church um, was Pelagialism, which um, was this old British monk who got to a place where he said, I think we can do it ourselves. If we get the right teaching and the right ways, we can get there. And the church is like, no, that is a heresy. It's about grace. You will never do it. I don't care how motivated you are. I don't care how many self-help things you do, how, you know, how much you've conquered in the world how rich you are, whatever you, your abilities are, salvation becomes an act of grace. It's something we are unable to do ourselves. So to the extent that saying would imply anything else, it's completely wrong. You cannot help yourself on this point. And then we come to just also just thinking about moments of our own helplessness and our spiritual walks. Because if you live long enough, most everybody will always experience this dark night where you, don't, you do not have the resources to get up off the floor, so to speak, where you're in a, in a dark place where you're not able to function or whatever it is, you're low as you can get. And oftentimes that's when God works with us best. We hear his voice, we see him, we can receive him in that place in powerful ways. I think about David in the Psalms, just thinking about some of these. He says, Psalm 18, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. He, he heard him in that dark moment. Or Psalm 121, we sing this sometimes in various ways. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This idea that all these low moments, God will help us again and again. I came across uh, recently an article that was um, a creative writer at a university who was basically giving part of her testimony in an article that she wrote. And it just really resonated with me and I kept it. And today I was thinking about it. When you're in these low, low spots, 
how God reaches out when we're helpless. He does that. When we're not able to do it, he helps out. And I want to read this. It's a little bit longer than quotes I normally do. But I want to read it because I think it's powerful. This professor's name is Auburn Sandrum. And this is what she, she was writing about how low she was. And, and I'd love to hear the rest of the story, how she went from that to where she is now. But this is what she says about where she was in her late 20s. She says, I was curled up in a fetal position on a filthy carpet in a cluttered apartment. I'm in horrible withdrawal from a drug addiction. I have a little piece of paper. It's dilapidated because I've been folding it and unfolding it, but I could still make out the phone number on it. I'm in a state of bald terror. Right behind me sleeping in the bedroom is my baby boy. I wasn't going to get mother of the year award. In fact, at the age of 29, I was failing at a lot of things. So I decided to get clean. I was soon going to lose my most precious thing I'd ever had in my life, my baby boy. I was so desperate at that moment that I wanted to make use of that phone number. It was something my mother had sent me. And she said, this is a Christian counselor. Maybe sometime you could call this person. It was two in the morning, but I punched in the numbers and I heard a man say, hello. And I said, hi, I got this number from my mother. Uh, do you think maybe you could talk to me? He said, well, yes, yes, of course. What's going on? I told him I was scared and my marriage had gotten pretty bad. And before long, I started telling him other truths, like I might have a drug problem. And this man just sat with me and listened and had such kindness and gentleness. He said, tell me more. Oh, that must have hurt very much. And he stayed up with me the whole night, just being there until the sun rose by then, I was feeling calm. The raw panic had passed, and I was feeling okay. I was very grateful to him, and so I said, I really appreciate you and what you've done for me tonight. How long have you been a Christian counselor? There's a long pause, and he said, Auburn, please don't hang up on me. I'm so afraid to tell you this. And he pauses again. You got the wrong number. I'm not a therapist but I've really enjoyed talking with you. I didn't hang up on him. I never got his name. I never spoke to him again. But the next day I felt like I was shining. I discovered that there was this completely random love in the universe, that it could be unconditional and that some of it was for me. And it also became possible as a teetotaling single parent to raise up that precious baby boy and a magnificent, into a magnificent young scholar and athlete who graduated from Princeton in 2013 with honors. She concludes the article by saying this, in the deepest, blackest night of despair, if you can get just one pinhole of light, all of grace rushes in. I think God tells us through scripture and through his teaching and through the church that whenever we can do it, we should do it. That we're called to be people who work and to be industrious. And we as disciples are called to lean into God's love and passion in the world of being his hands and his feet and his voice for those who are helpless, the marginalized, the downtrodden, the poor. 
And there is a moment, though, when we ourselves know we're helpless, when we know that we're despicable, when we see the ugliness of the things we've done and know that there's no way to make it right on our own. And when God looks at us and says, I love you anyway, that I will never abandon you and that I want to be with you. Here's my salvation as a gift. Here's my love as a gift to you. That saying, God helps those who help themselves, it's partially true. Work and be industrious. But thank God it's also not true in the sense that God really does help the helpless. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you give us dignity that's inherent. And you also call us to work as we're able and that you love us and help us at those moments, chief of which is salvation, where there's nothing we can do but receive your grace and your love. Lord, help us to live in that place and to minister to this world from that place. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.